It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. In millions of homes every day, children grow up in addictive families and abide by certain rules. Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. According to today's guest, Dr. Claudia Black, the survival roles and coping behaviors these children take on can eventually lead to addictions, abusive relationships, and mental health disorders. Dr. Black is a world-renowned expert on addiction and codependency, a best-selling author and trainer recognized for her pioneering and contemporary work with family systems and addictive disorders. Welcome, Dr. Black. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Jones. Great to be here today. So, Doctor, let's begin by talking about the problem of children being raised in a home with addiction. How prevalent is this situation? Today, we think that approximately one out of every six children is being raised in a home affected by somebody else's substance use disorders in particular. But not only are alcohol and drugs one of the addictions that they're often subject to, we also have a lot of behavioral addictions. But when it comes to drugs and alcohol, at least one out of every six children. Doctor, was that number before the COVID pandemic? Do you think that we will see a higher statistic because of it? That number absolutely was um, before the pandemic. And I don't know if the numbers will change, but what we do know is that I don't think the pandemic is causing somebody to become necessarily addicted. I think what it's doing is exacerbating the addiction for those who were already in the process. Now, we do know that people's drinking and using is substantially increasing. Uh, Whether or not they end up being addicted is another story. But there's absolutely no doubt that if they're already in an addicted family, the dynamics and the negative aspect of that will certainly be exacerbated. And then the consequences for the children seriously exacerbated. Right, because they're being confined in a home. They don't have that outlet in, in many states of going to school. They're now, in essence, locked in with the addictive behavior. And then the person who's struggling with the addiction um, is going to be struggling all that much more to be able to garner their drug of choice. Um, And then as they're increasing their use, the personality changes are going to be there. The controlling behavior is going to be there. The anger outbursts are going to be there. But not only are children impacted by the person who's experiencing an addiction to substances or even behaviors, but they're also impacted by whatever the relationship is with the other parent if they're raised in a home with two parents. Um, That other parent may become more emotionally reactive. That other parent may also show a lot of signs of depression. That other parent may have unrealistic expectations of the kids. So they're not solely impacted by the person with the addiction. They are often equally and sometimes even more so negatively impacted by the other parent. Do children tend to have more anger for the non-addictive parent, perhaps feeling that they may not be defending them or protecting them in some way? 
they often have more. I wouldn't say they tend to more so, but they often have more anger with the non-addicted parent. They'll have anger with the non-addicted parent for enabling the, the addict. They'll have anger with that parent for not protecting them. They'll have anger with that parent for uh, sometimes staying with the addict when they think the answer is if mom would just leave dad, we'd all be okay, or if dad would just leave mom. So there's certainly a lot of anger with the non-addicted one as well. Sometimes they even see the addicted person as the victim because if the non-addicted parent gets angry, they will see the addicted person become victimized and then they'll actually align themselves with the addict instead of the non-addicted parent. We can see that this is is a, a problem that's impacting, based on these statistics, so many of our children. So what are the effects of living in that environment? What happens to these children? We often think of the addicted person as having their own denial process. Well, one of the first things we see in family members is they, too, have a denial process. They learn to minimize. They learn to discount. They learn to rationalize. As a little nine-year-old said to me one time, in our family, we just pretend things are different how they really, and how they really are. And she was talking about her own denial process. They learn how not to talk honestly about the real issues. And in time, you know, initially that's a defense against the pain and trying to find some stability in the home. But in time, that becomes a skill, and they're going to take that with them into their adult life. They're going to take the ability, the skill of minimizing, discounting, and rationalizing with them. They learn how not to show the range of feelings because it's not safe in this family, which to show those feelings. And they take that with them, which is an emotional disconnect from other people into their adult life. They learn that they cannot trust the most important people in their lives. They're not reliable in which to be able to trust them. So they typically go into adult life with trust issues, which all of this is going to interfere with every aspect of their life. It interferes with their adult intimate relationships. It interferes with their parenting skills. It can interfere with their performance in work, uh, interferes with uh, career choices and things that can happen for them in careers. I do want to say that not all people are affected the same that some children are able to be more resilient than other children are, and that's for a variety of different reasons, and that all kids, I think, raised even with all kinds of adversity can show strengths, but usually with those strengths, there's going to be a flip side of that. It's not what they learned oftentimes that gets them into trouble. It's what they don't get to learn. A lot of kids learn a high tolerance for an appropriate behavior, and what they don't learn is how to set healthy boundaries for themselves. A lot of kids don't learn conflict resolution. They don't learn healthy problem solving. Some kids learn to initiate, but they don't know how to follow. And for other kids, it's the flip side of that. They know how to follow, but they don't know how to initiate. So all kids are not the same, and that's why you'll see differences amongst them. And even kids within the same family uh, may show differences. For one ends up using substances themselves, and another one becomes anxious and depressed. And another one goes into perfectionism and looks like the family hero and yet has a lot of self-loathing that gets acted out. So it can look very different, but ultimately they're all operating from a place of fear and shame, the belief that who I am isn't good enough. So when on the surface a child appears to be well-adjusted um, because they become so proficient at masking their feelings. How can we reach those children so that we can help to mitigate these these different situations that you've just described? Well, first let me say that it will never happen to me. 
I talk a lot about what you just referred to, the looking good kids. Probably 80% of kids addictions in the family have the ability to look good to the outside world, and they take on various roles that bring them a greater sense of safety that allow that. They become hero children. They become family caretakers. They become mascots, or they just learn how to be invisible and not draw any attention to themselves. So the question was, how do you reach out to them? I think that you reach out by validating the reality of their life. So many times that they're living in this turmoil and that there's never any validation for the truth. So if if we can find ways in which to validate what their reality is that they're often not talking about, they may not even have a language in which to talk about, but anything that we can do to help educate children about what addiction looks like in the family, because they have a lot of misperceptions about what addiction can look like. We need to help give them the messages that they're not causing the problems in the home. They're not responsible for their mother's depression. They're not responsible for the fact that the dad doesn't come home night after night, possibly, um, that they're not responsible for this. They didn't cause it, nor are they going to be able to find the so-called cure for that. And that their job is, and a part of our job is we need to help these kids problem solve, um, problem solving skills, the problem solving in a vacuum. We need to help them learn self-care, how to take care of themselves when they're scared. Where do you go? Who can you talk to? What would be the best thing for you to do to be able to calm yourself down and feel safe in this moment? Depending on the role that kids are in, there's various things that we can do. I think the one thing we need to remember is they're children, and we still need to um, give them the opportunity to be age-appropriate to engage with their peers in an age-appropriate way. Their job isn't to take away other people's pain. Their job is not to become the other parent in the home. If they become invisible, our job is to try and help them have some visibility and to help them feel like they have a voice and that there's somebody there that's going to listen to them. For a teacher or a family member or a friend that may see a child who's in an environment like this, And the child seems fine. As you said, many of these kids become masters of masking their emotions. So is it a good rule of thumb for someone who loves this child to assume, even though he or she appears to be adjusted, that, you know, some help would just be a good practice in all situations? Some help would be a very good practice in all situations. And you know, what you can do in terms of intervening is really almost take a look at the roles that they're in. So when you have a child who uh, they are the responsible child and they become the parent to themselves and everybody else, well, in the classroom setting, they're going to want to become the teacher's helper. That's not what they need to be doing. That's what they do best. What can we do to help facilitate them feeling more comfortable in the playground with their peers? When you have the child who wants to be invisible, who doesn't appear to be in any kind of angst, what can you do to draw them out in terms of one-to-one relationships um, so they begin to find comfort in that relating? When you have a child who takes away the emotional pain out of the home, um, what kind of message can you give them about that you can take care of your own pain? You can take care of this right now. You just need them to, to go play. Um, When we work with kids, we actually do our therapy work in the context of play with them in terms of teaching them how to ask for help, teaching them how to express various feelings, teaching them how to take care of themselves and not be taking care of other people at that given time. 
And, you know, we don't have to talk about the addiction in the home to be of help to the kids. What you really want to do is give them the opportunity uh, to be age-appropriate and to have healthy skills around asking for help and knowing what to do with their feelings, knowing how to calm down when they get upset. You know, if your a child comes and spends the night with your child and they're a child from an addictive home, what you may find is that they spend all the time with the adults because they're seeking their attention. Um, and just giving them some attention in the garage when you're working on the car, giving them some attention when you're in the kitchen doing some cooking um, is a message that says, I value you. Um, and I like having you with me, you don't have to be talking about what it is that's going on at home. I don't want to make therapists out of school teachers, out of neighbors, out of extended family members, as much as how can you, in essence, uh, be a resource to a child in, in pain um, and give them a sense of comfort and a sense of safety at the same time. Doctor, what about the person who finds him or herself in a relationship later in life with a child who grew up in this type of situation, you listed a, a laundry list of things that that person could experience, behaviors later on. If you're in love or you're friends with someone who has a detachment issue or you know, um, has just become so equipped hiding emotions, how do you stay in a loving relationship with that person? What can you do to help have a strong relationship? First, don't personalize their their behavior don't take it on as there's something wrong with you and and you're talking about an adult now and so one is give them feedback you know when this happens um and this is how i feel about it um to not somehow think that they can willfully be different they really are going to need their own recovery process so if you can say um when you get angry um or when i see you getting angry you walk away from me and you're not willing to engage. I wonder if this is not connected to your history. Would you be willing to take a look at that? Um, and so I'd give them what I, I say, I call them conversational seed droppers. I'd absolutely offer them some resources. I'd offer them some books about what it means to be an adult child from an addictive home. You know, would you be willing to read this? And I think that these conversational seed droppers need to come consistently um, because they're scared. They don't want to get into the depths of their pain. They don't want to believe that their family, their original families, had an effect on who they are today at 35, 45 years of age. And so we're not blaming their parents. Um, what you're saying is, though, when you're raised in that kind of family, there's things you didn't get to learn, and they're interfering with our relationship now. You know, would you be willing you know, to take a look at this? So when you see the different behaviors, call them on it, try and connect that to the past let them know that there's help, and there's help in various forms. There's help on various blogs, there's help in various books, there's therapists, there's counselors. Doctor, what are some of the common misconceptions that we have about alcoholics or people who struggle with addiction? Oh, I think one of the common misperceptions is that uh, certainly that they could just stop if they wanted to enough. If they just love their kids, love their wives enough, they could just stop. And it's not an issue of willpower, and I have to tell you, this is what they have the greatest guilt and shame about is when they get into recovery is how their behaviors affected their kids and their partners. And that, you know, what does happen is addiction becomes a primary disorder and people lose the ability to allow their values to dictate 
um, their life. And, uh, you know, we've got changes in the brain that are going on. That prefrontal cortex is not working. And they're operating from another base level. And they don't have that will of choice. I, you know, and I think, you know, perceptions really could be that one, they could stop if they really wanted to. And the other is, you know, that they don't love their family. And as I said, that's their greatest sense of shame and guilt when they get into the recovery process. They love their family very deeply. They've lost the ability to show that love with any kind of consistency. The book is It Will Never Happen to Me, Growing Up with Addiction as Youngsters, Adolescents, and Adults. If you'd like to get more information about Dr. Black and her work, you can visit ClaudiaBlack.com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd really like to leave the listeners with that you don't have to live a life of a script, that there is choice out there, and there is a recovery process for everybody who's affected by addiction, be it the addicted person, the partner, the adult child, and the healing for young children, if we can help access resources for them at the time of which they're growing up. Dr. Block, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's truly my pleasure. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.